Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Julie Bond Blank about boundaries in healthy and unhealthy relationships. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today we have Julie Bon Blank. How are you? I am excellent. Thank you. I hope all is well with you as well and your listeners. Well, thank you for being here. And for those that don't know who you are, you are a certified DV advocate and you work at ARMS, which is the Abuse Recovery Ministry Service. You are the Women's Ministry and Education Director there and ARMS has services that are in Oregon, but you also have programs that are nationwide and international as well. And today we are going to be discussing boundaries. We are going to be discussing healthy versus unhealthy relationships. And before we begin, I just want to give a big content warning on this episode. We do discuss physical abuse in this episode. We discuss sexual abuse in this episode, sexual assault in this episode. And we also talk about animal abuse in this episode as well. And to begin with, I'm going to give the definition of boundaries. And boundaries are an imaginary line that separate me from you. It separates your physical space, your feelings, needs, and responsibilities from others. Your boundaries also tell other people how they can treat you, what's acceptable and what isn't. And without boundaries, people may take advantage of you because you haven't set limits about how you expect to be treated. Also, many of the things that we will be talking about today when it comes to setting boundaries are for healthy and unhealthy relationships. However, if you don't think you can set a boundary due to concerns for your emotional or physical safety, if you are in in an abusive relationship where that is a real concern, uh, keep yourself safe and do try to reach out to your local agencies, your national domestic violence hotline, an online support group, or friends or family that you trust for help. So now that we have discussed what a boundary is, Julie, uh, help us define what a healthy versus unhealthy relationship looks and feels like. Sure. So if I had all of you in a room right now and sitting around tables, 
we could do a table talk and discussion on what is a healthy and unreli- relationship and what is an unhealthy relationship. And you would come up with all kinds of things and they're great things. You would come up with things like, oh, a healthy relationship means good communication and a healthy relationship means I have freedom and a good relation, healthy relationships mean I get time with my friends and the other partner is okay with that and doesn't care about that. Um, but I, I like to categorize them under three major heads for a healthy relationship, just because it makes it easier. Cause otherwise there's a list of what, you know, a hundred probably traits for healthy relationships. And so I tend to put those under a few banners. And the first banner I put it under is equality. Equality is extremely important aspect in a healthy relationship, which means that your partner or and or your person in your life who might be your parent even sees you on an equal platform as they are. If somebody treats you with inequality, it actually means they're putting them above yourself and they see you as below them. And unless they can bring you up to that equal platform, and most of them don't want to, um, they cannot treat you with that equality you deserve and that everybody deserves. And then the second one that I put the banner of all these great healthy relationships under is respect. And respect, of course, is um, is honoring somebody and, and what they do. And even when their opinions differ from yours, you're able to say, hey, you know, I get that and I respect your opinion. And maybe I could even learn from you, you know, a little bit if you would explain a little bit about why you feel the way you do. And you know, I, I'm one of those that likes to post controversial topics on Facebook. And sometimes I get myself in trouble for it because even my own dad at times will respond <laughs> and I will be debating with, with my dad. But the reason I do that is because I like a healthy exchange and I like to learn and I like a good discussion. And so mutual respect, when you both respect each other and you realize that the other person might actually have something that you could learn from. And just really take advantage of that and listen to that and respect people's opinion. And you don't always have to agree to respect their opinion. You can definitely say, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't understand your opinion perhaps, or I feel differently, but I respect you, you know, that you have that opinion and true respect. That's the second one. So first was equality. Second was respect. And the third was honor. And honor is more of a word that means esteem. So you esteem somebody highly in your mind which means they are more valuable to you than yourself. And that is simply what it means. And when I was talking about that power level of equality, it actually means that they put you a little bit above themselves and they work to honor and they work to serve you as part of the relationship because they love you. You know, honoring somebody does not mean that you're bowing down when they walk in the room, (laughs) but that is not equal honor when it comes to a relationship. And I think it also has to be equal so it's not really a matter of seeing that this person is amazing and maybe you're not. It's seeing you both as amazing, but it is seeking to serve the other person in that way. You know, it is saying, hey, honey, you know, I know you need your coffee in the morning and you're not up till eight. And so, you know, you start the pot at 730 in the morning for your loved one. As an example, that's a way of honoring them and yet not putting them on a pedestal, which get on either, you know, on either way for anything. So I hope that makes sense to word it that way. And then the fourth one I would say is love. You know, love is obviously one of the most important aspects and combines, you know, all of those. When you truly, truly love somebody, you will want to treat them as your equal. You will want to serve them in some way, shape, or form. 
and it will be give and take. You will you will love and serve each other. You know, if a relationship is loving and serving of the one but not the other, then it's not an equal relationship. And if somebody is always serving you and you struggle to serve them, and if you're in a relationship that you are doing all the serving but you're not getting anything in return, um, then I would wonder about the love in that relationship, or at least know that there's power over in that relationship instead of personal power and somebody's got control of that and power over, which again, takes us back to non-equality, <laughs> which is, you know, one of the aspects. So the majority of people, when, you know, when we table talk and do discussions on what's healthy and what's unhealthy, all those things that they come up with as far as specific characteristics can fall into those categories for, uh, for healthy relationships. If you don't feel like going home at night, you know, to your partner, there's a problem. If your partner acts one way in public and a totally different way at home, there's a problem, right? If that part partner does not seek to, you know, to love you and to serve you and not overly bored so, but in, in the, you know, even in the little things like, gee, can I grab your trash from the restaurant we were at and take it up there to the trash bin for you? You know, that's a little act of service that stands out and means, means a lot. So another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I think it is important to just reinforce with people here how much of this when it comes to healthy versus unhealthy relationships, especially with the serving, that things should be even. So we hear so many times on our show when someone is overdoing things, the love bombing that could be happening at beginning of relationships when they smooth things over, but we're looking for something that is evenness. So when it comes to serving, we're looking for evenness. And then a lot of the time as relationship goes on, you'll get possibly someone who's underdoing things. We hear a lot on our show that once children are born, the person stops doing things around the house, really stops helping with a lot of things. So they start underdoing things. So we're really looking for evenness. So when you're doing nice things for your partner, always make sure that there's an evenness kind of going on, that you're both doing nice things for each other that's not out of whack in, 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 in any way. And Julie, something that you also mentioned was a term called power over. So can you explain what power over is versus personal power? There's a difference between uh, power over and the power, personal power. And in the domestic violence, industry, we know that power over as a term. And so when somebody's not treating you in an equal matter, they see themselves on a different level as you. They see you as not valuable enough or maybe weaker than you or not as good as you. And society actually encourages these things, especially between men and women, as men are somewhat raised in this societal women are the weaker sex idea. Um, but taking on your personal power is really important. That's, you know, the ability to stand up for yourself. It's knowing what you like and what you dislike. It's knowing what you should set boundaries for, which we're going to get into here and talk about more. It's knowing where your identity is and not being willing to put up with the crap of it, basically, you know, 
when somebody comes in and you see those red flags and they're being dishonoring of you and it's an unhealthy relationship, you're like, I'm out of here, right? This isn't, this isn't good for me. And so far too many of us have been in unhealthy for so long that we're scared to leave and we get used to it and we think we're not worth anymore. And that does not help that um, power over versus personal power aspect that I wanted to mention. So unhealthy relationships, we talk about that too, right? Because it's part of it. Unhealthy relationships are no fun. And maybe some of you have been there. And I know I've been there um, during my life in several relationships. And the longest was my 17-year marriage. It was extremely unhealthy. And he was very addictive. And he was very abusive. And it was really, really tough. And so I'd like to refer you to a chart uh, because it's different than all the charts you've ever seen. And I guarantee you that. If you look up on the internet um, the types of abuse, you're going to get three types. You're going to get physical, sexual, and either emotional or psychological. And that the organization I work with called ARMS, and that stands for Abuse Recovery Ministry Services, and we're just at um, abuserecovery.org. There is a chart that we've come up that actually has eight types of abuse because we have really dug, in, dug into the psychological of it and what goes on you know, beneath the surface and what goes on to even children and animals and property. And so I will list those really carefully for you because there's, um, it is available on our website, by the way, at abuserecovery.org under resources. And I would encourage you to download it because there's lists of behavior that go with each category. And if you have any questions at all, if you're in an unhealthy relationship and this doesn't even have to be an intimate partner relationship. This could be with your mother or your cousin, you know, or, you know, your sister or your brother. We've all had those familial type of relationships as well that aren't necessarily healthy, but the types are psychological, physical, sexual, property, animal, spiritual, financial, and verbal abuse. Those are the eight types that we teach. And we really find that it encompasses more of you know, of all the types of abuse and unhealthy relationships. So there's a lot of things listed under all, and I won't, for time's sake, I won't read them all, but, you know, psychological is the mind games many of us have had, the gaslighting lots of us have had, you know, spying, going through your partner's email and mail, multiple calls and texting, depriving your partner of friends and families, we call that isolation, making someone feel crazy, public humiliation. Um, if you are one that goes out with your spouse and every time he's the life of the party, but you're the brunt of the jokes, there is a problem there. And that is psychological abuse. And then there's physical. We call that the sanity abuse because it's more obvious, right? You see a lady at work with a black eye, <laughs> you might be likely to say, hey, you know, what happened? Um, and so, because there's signs of it and hitting and shoving and, you know, strangulation, there's not always signs of strangulation. That's a whole different, different podcast in itself, which I'd be happy to come back and talk about, but there's scratching and restraining, posturing to intimidate. Um, anytime you use physical abuse, you know, you're using your body or you're using their body in some way, shape or form. And the very definition of abuse means to misuse. Anytime, think of it that way. That's how I tend to think of it. Anytime there's a misuse of something, you know, it is abusive. And then there's sexual, which isn't just rape. Uh, sexual can be unwanted touch. It can make somebody dress sexy when they don't want to. It can mean, you know, coercion for sex, requiring her to dress a certain way, bizarre acts, 
sexual acts that you are uncomfortable with, a loving, healthy partner is going to say, okay, you know, no problem. We don't have to do those things. I'm not coerced to undo it. Property abuse, um, you know, hurt in the house, hurt in your cell phone, find it all the time. Women trying to call 911 and you grab the phone away from her and throws it across the room. Smash that I've talked to people whose partners have damaged more than one cell phone. That's property um, abuse, slamming doors, use of weapons, things like that. Uh, there is animal abuse. Now it's pretty, it, you know, there's kind of two categories because it can be obvious. You know, if you kick the dog or you throw the cat across the room, that's an obvious form of animal abuse, but there's some that are not obvious. So I wanted to review that just for that reason, because you can, uh, for instance, get a pet that partner's allergic to, and that is, and that's partly animal abuse. Like, like I'm terrified of snakes. I'm terrified of snakes. I just am. I know it's silly and I know you have snake lovers out there, but you know, if they were aware that I am terrified of snakes. And it can also be paying attention to the pet more so than your partner and neglecting the pet. Spiritual is misusing scriptures. A lot of us heard that growing up. Submit to your spouse, your spouse that has the headship. Um, and that's not true. Not true. And financial, of course, can be controlling the money or making you control it, getting accounts. It can be gambling. It can be lying about finances, requiring people to you know, take every penny and account for it. And then verbal, the last one, the put downs, name calling, shouting and swearing, threats, controlling conversation, countering or discounting, criticizing or blaming the silent treatment is considered verbal abuse. You know, and there can also be situations like I, I briefed before, you know, if you go go with your partner to an outing or an office party or a gathering and you are always the brunt of their jokes. That is wrong. I mean, sarcasm hides a lot of things and sarcasm can be funny or sarcasm can be damaging to other people. And so, you know, you got people like me, I do have some sarcasm in my personality, but I'm really careful to not direct that towards other people. So those would be signs of unhealthy relationships of any of those behaviors that are listed. So when it comes to our Survivor Story show, I always ask people questions about their belief systems because their belief systems are a big way that they overlook certain things possibly at the beginning of a relationship. And they're also things that might keep you in a relationship for a very long time if abuse is going on. So can you talk a little bit about uh, belief systems when it comes to uh, relationships and abusive relationships? Yeah, so I can tell you that my belief systems kept me in my abuse for a very, very long time, and it works on both ways. So whether you have a perpetrator or whether you have a survivor, we all have a belief system, and the belief system is the foundation of our house, of our house inside, our inner house. And we find that when people need to get help, whether they're on the perpetrator side or whether they're on the survivor side, that those belief systems are what we must address or change will not happen, period. You know, and I, in particular, in my experience with my marriage in particular, I was I was raised in the church. And so I was raised with that from the pulpit. You submit to your husband. Your husband is, you know, is the headship of the family. You know, you, you, you marry him. You do whatever you can to stay with him. And our churches also encourage marriage institutions to stay together, sometimes in spite of 
taking care of, you know, take, it should be taking care of the people within the marriage, but the institution of marriage has become, you know, more and more um, important. So my belief systems kept me there. That and pride, because I was like, what are people going to think of me if I, you know, because I was raised in a pretty conservative background. If I actually divorce this guy or separate from this guy, oh my gosh, what about my parents? What about relatives? You know, and what about that? I spent way too much time worrying about that. My belief system kept me trapped. And so when I worked on my healing, you know, and I realized I had more than just that story. I had other stories as well. And I had uh, childhood abuse, sexual abuse when I was young and I had other ones. And, but the belief system was what kept me trapped in it. So we, it's, it's really important that it is, you know, to know it's the foundation of your house and to also know that other things will not be an excuse for that. So we hear from a lot of people that say, you know, we, you know, we got in a ripped down fight last night. He kind of shoved me against the wall and, you know, and, and, and said these awful words, you know, and, and I've never heard these words before and, you know, all of that, you know, and, and what can I do? And um, then they say, but you know what? He was drunk. He'd been drinking, he'd been drinking since noon and he got off early. He got kicked out of his job, whatever. He had been drinking since noon. And if he had not been doing that, this would not have happened. So we hear that. Now, not only that, we hear if my husband or wife, you know, whichever side you're on there, what if my wife, for instance, didn't have ADHD or wasn't so depressed or maybe it's postpartum depression, right? Or so anxious, if only she would go help and get help and counseling and medication, these abusive incidences would not be happening. So I want to present to you a different view because it's so very important. Obviously, those things lower our inhibition. Obviously, they can be a trigger, right, to be misbehaving. But they are not the reason for the abuse. The reason for the abuse is because the abuser has that belief system down in the foundation of their inner house that it's okay to behave that way when it's not. We know people who get drunk and drunk and aren't abusive, who use drugs and aren't abusive, who have, you know, psychological issues, but are not abusive, which shows us that abuse is a choice, no matter the belief system. And, but again, it's very important to recognize that until that belief system can be healed and worked on underneath, then the abuse will be present. And that's not, it's not an option. It's part of their belief system. It is how we act. Until you can change that, you can be stuck in abuse for a long time, or you can be an abuser for a very long time. So when it comes to boundaries, uh, why are boundaries so important to set and how are they also important for the other person that is involved? Yeah, that's a great question because I know, you know, in our training on boundaries that people often think, well, it obviously benefits me. I need to do this so I don't go insane, right? (laughs) But what you may not know is that it also benefits the other person. And setting boundaries, if you love somebody, is actually the most loving thing that you can do for them. Well, let me explain that. For us, when we set boundaries as survivors or victims, however you, you see yourself in that, it increases our mental wellness to do that. There's five things it does. It helps us focus on ourselves instead of other people because you know what? We can't change them. We want to, right? A lot of those of us who are survivors of abuse drew needy people because we wanted to rescue them and we wanted to have, we wanted to save them and we thought we could make a difference in their life. It reminds us that other people's actions are not our responsibility. It puts that ball back in the court where it belongs, in your court, not not their court. 
it takes the weight off our shoulders and it reduces our stress level. And it allows, most importantly, it allows us to take our power back instead of allowing the other person to be in charge of our thoughts um, and our focus and our concentration and to work on ourselves. So that's how it benefits us, but it also benefits them. It also benefits them because it makes communication very clear on where you stand. And if your relationship is continuing to go down in a downward, downward spiral, it might eventually end up, you know, splitting up in some way, shape or form. It's really important. That communication is really important. And that person's going to get that idea. Now, wait a minute, she or he is not going to put up with this crap all the time. And maybe, you know, I should consider looking at this and making changes. And then it benefits them because it reminds them that they have a choice in everything. They are not helpless. They like to give us that victim mentality. They're helpless and I can't help it. And I was raised being abused and all of that stuff. And neither are we controlling them. And the other part is that it allows accountability for the actions, you know, that they do, uh, that they do take. So don't do boundaries for everything. You only do boundaries for the very most important things that are affecting your life in a negative way or your kids' life, you know, or people in your families. So when it comes to boundaries and dealing with someone who is abusive, and how do you discern when a abuser is setting a boundary to the point where now this boundary is control? So abusers are boundary breakers, and they may try to set some back on you. And I would say most anything an abuser sets as a quote-unquote boundary is abusive, and there's a reason for that. And here is how you determine that. How you determine it is, is this boundary going to benefit him or is it going to benefit me? And if he's not only setting boundaries on you to benefit him and or saying that your boundaries, you know, are not right and all of that and you need to get off this boundary, who's going to benefit from that? If that is, you know, strictly for his benefit and it's not a mutual equality, respectful, honorable, lovable thing for both of you, then that's red flags there to pay attention to for sure. So when and how do you set a boundary? So there's four components um, that I recommend when setting boundaries. Um, And one of those, you know, the first one is choose your battles and choose carefully. Don't set a boundary for every single little thing that is restrictive, that is controlling, and that can become abusive as well. So be careful with that. Um, And number two, you want to choose safe consequences. So this is not emphasized enough. We hear set a boundary, set a boundary, set a boundary without the fact that unless a boundary has a consequence that is enforced, it doesn't feel good at all. Your abuser will stomp all over you and your fence and your house and your yard and everything else. So example, your kid runs across the street to chase the ball. There's a truck coming. Oh, scary, right? And you're like, oh, this is so scary. And it's it's life. You know, I, I have to do something. So you tell your kiddo, you know, no more going out in the street after the ball. You can't do it anymore. It's important. It's really important. And your safety is important. And I love you, right? And then three days later, Junior's out chasing the ball again. And what do you do? You pull him back in. And hopefully, if you're a loving parent, you say, you're on restriction now. You need to be in your room for, you know, all tonight and tomorrow or whatever, because you keep running after the ball and it's that important. And that is just a simple little example. We are not our 
intimate partner's parent. But it's a very simple example of how if we do not enforce consequences for the boundary, it does no good at all. That will be stopped all over. As long as you have no boundaries in your life, and I mean every relationship, I don't mean just intimate partner relationship, people will stomp all over you. They absolutely will stomp all over you. So it's important. So that was number two. And number three, um, number three is how you word it. And it's really important how you word it for that. You have to choose safe consequences that you can put into place. Now, if you put in a consequence that, you know, honey, I want you to smoke and go to a program or go to the doctor and get a patch or get some help to do this, you know, and if you don't do that, I'm just going to kick you to the curb and kick you out of the house. And that raises her anger and she's the abusive one per se. And that's not a safe boundary to put in place, right? You've got to put in a consequence that you can actually follow through with. So here's an example, honey. We have a spare room. I can't do the smoking anymore. I'm, it's killing me. Um, if you insist that you have to do this, I think I'm going to have to sleep in the spare room and get an air purifier because it's really hurting my allergies. So that's my boundary. If you don't get help and you keep the, you know, you keep deciding to, to smoke, then I'm going to do that. And so wording it is important. And you want to say, if you choose this, I will do this. So, honey, if you choose to not get help and you just keep chain smoking like you are, I'll, I'm going to be moving to the spare room with my air purifier because I can't do it. And not only that, but I'm going to keep the windows and doors open at night because I've got to air this place out. That That is my boundary. But by wording it that way, you are exactly putting the ball back in their court where it belongs, right? And reminding them you do have a choice. And this is the effect of your choice. And it goes back to that frontal lobe of the brain, that cause and effect. If you do these things, then I'm going to do these things. And then fourthly is the enforcement, you know, which I've kind of already mentioned, but is absolutely vital. Because if you don't enforce, <laughs> you know, they'll be stomping all over you again. And we all mess up here. So I don't want anybody to feel like, oh, my gosh, because I talk to people all the time that they're like, I set boundaries. You know, and then he was so nice and then this and this happened and I just, I did not follow through on the consequence and they go backwards, you know, they completely go backwards to where they were. It's that important that you enforce the consequences when you set a consequence for a boundary. Absolutely. And how about for people where it is not safe to give consequences? What would you say to them when it comes to boundaries? If absolutely there's no safe consequences that you can put in place for a boundary, then you don't remain stuck forever. That is your message that that person is not good for you um, and that they're not moldable to that point where they will consider honoring, you know, your boundaries. Um, and that's a big red flag. I would say that's not the best relationship for you, but do be cautious. If this is somebody you can't set boundaries with at all, then that is a big red flag that that person's probably not a good person for you to be with. So what are some of the wear down techniques that an abuser might use? And what are some techniques to help you keep your boundaries? If you indeed are with an abusive person, um, it's not going to be an easy journey to set boundaries. It's going to be hard. Uh, and there are going to be times that they feel they're losing control and they may increase their control in other areas, such as like over the kids, if you're married and you have kids. So I want you to be prepared because preparation's half the battle, right? <laughs> uh, 
Because these are the things that you might hear and you probably will hear from an abuser. Number one, we can't work on things if I never see you. And we see that a lot in regards to because we never, ever recommend marriage counseling when there's abuse present. Individual counseling with other people only. And there's a good article on under resources on our site for that as well at the 12 reasons why. Um, and so we hear that all the time. Well, unless we get counseling, how can we fix this when the fact of the matter is abuse is the elephant in the room. And unless you fix that abuse, there is no marriage to work on. There's no relationship to work on. Number two, you're the crazy one. Uh-huh. Oh, and oh, and she's, we hear this all the time. They call me, they're like, she's had abuse in the past. So therefore she thinks everything is abusive. So everything, I'm, you know, it's, it's her fault. She thinks everything is abusive. Your boundaries don't mean anything to me and you're eventually going to have to get in, which actually means I will wear you down, right? If you're setting boundaries, making me do this, then you're the abuser one. You're the abusive one and I'm going to tell everybody in the world that you're abusing me. If you insist on doing this, I'm going to take the kids or I'm going to take the financial support. I'm going to take the house, whatever he has that he might have, he or she might have in control over you. They will threaten that if you continue to set these boundaries. So I want you to be prepared because you're going to hear those things and they hurt and they sting, right? And character assassination is is painful. Um, and we know these things aren't true, but it does do a number on your self-esteem, you know, if you let it. And especially continued messages like that from your abuser can be damaging. So I do have some techniques to help you keep your boundaries. Because again... In that list that we did, keeping your boundaries and those consequences are the most important thing that you can do in your relationship. And I really recommend this technique. It's worked for me and I had problem with boundaries for a long time and it's worked for um, other people that I've worked with as well. And the first one is to write, write each one of them down. Those boundaries that are, again, not everything they do wrong, but the highest priorities Write them down and communicate them as well as the consequence for what you're going to do when your abuser breaks them, okay? So we've given a lot of examples, so I won't go into that anymore at this point, but write them down. Number two, read them. And I would say if you're in contact with your abuser at all, read them daily. Put them in a journal, hang them on your mirror, whatever it takes. If you choose to do this, I will do this. One or two of them will make a huge difference. Number three, you want to find a friend, find a supportive friend or accountability partner is what I call them, who will agree to check in with you. And I do mean lovingly check in with you. And, you know, the amount they should check in depends on the extent of your issue. So if you, if you most of the time are good with your boundaries and it's only just once in a while, then you might say, hey, George, can you call me once a month? You know, don't give me a heads up, just call me and say, hey, you know, How's it going? How's it going with your boundaries? How are you doing? Um, if you are a chronic boundary giver upper and or you're like living with your abuser and really struggling with that, you might even have somebody once a week, you know, hey, Lisa, can you call in and check with me or email me and ask, how are you doing with your boundaries? The uh, next one is to actually make a commitment to be very honest with them because we don't get better on our own, right? And we don't get better when we're hiding things, you know, under the stairs or, or in the closet or anything else. We don't heal that way. Sometimes it takes more. And so it's very much like the, you know, like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous program. You know, they, you have a sponsor. You have a sponsor for a reason. It's somebody who's been there 
has done that, you can call up and say, hey, I really feel like I need to have a drink. This happens the same way. You have this person, hey, Nellie, I'm calling you up because, oh my gosh, I, I made a commitment and a boundary to not let him in the door and here he is pounding at the door. And next thing you know, he's going to call the police, he's going to get the kids and what do I do? And, and you've got somebody to walk you through those things. So you need a commitment to be honest, honest. It's okay to mess up. We all do. So I want you to know that. But each day starts new. So keep that in mind. And then I want you with your accountability partner or this friend to talk about what happened. Say, this is what happened. This is why I gave in. This is why I finally got to the point of frustration that it was going to drive me crazy that I had felt like I had to give in. And this is what happened when I gave in, which is usually a bad thing, right? And then really brainstorm with them. What can I do next time that's different? When he comes pounding at the door again, and I've got that boundary with him that you're not to pound at the door and I'm not letting you in, what do I do different? That's more healthy as far as a good way to respond that's more healthy. Um, and then finally, really think about writing it down. I really find that, you know, journaling and writing is a good way to implant things in my brain and it's almost needed. And so write down what happened, what you did, why you did it, you know, on this, in this conversation with your accountability partner um, and be willing to go back to those and reread those to remind yourself, hey, this didn't work out so well last time. The one where you said, talk about what happened, why you gave in, what happened, you know, you brainstorm with someone about the situation. For people that listen to our Survivor Story show, you know, part of what we do is to kind of go through the psychology of someone and to understand why a certain type of tactic would work on them, you know, or when they're in the relationship, a lot of the time, once you have children, the children are always used uh, as a pawn to keep someone there. The threats kind of start happening. Those ones are easier to, to trace, but a lot of the time someone is going to maybe pull at uh, a core fear of yours that you might have had early on before you were in the relationship, or they, maybe they made that fear within the relationship. But we try to help people um, kind of pull them outward to see these things so they can actually see how the abuse was working, how the cycle worked, and how an abuser could um, push specific buttons because they knew what buttons to push to really break down your boundary fence. Some of them know what they're doing. Some of them don't know what they're doing and they're kind of going automatically and you might have a perfect kind of fit, but sometimes that perfect fit, you're, you know, the code for that person for those boundaries to kind of just go and, you know, for someone to understand you know, how that happened while you're in the relationship is a pretty valuable uh, thing to, to to have at your disposal. A lot of people don't see that until they're outside how everything is working. So, you know, that one specific there is really interesting if someone's able to like be in an abusive relationship and be able to kind of really see, um, I guess, the how the machine works in, in a way. Absolutely right. There is a cycle of abuse. And I remember saying to people really clearly in my 17-year marriage, the key words, 
he knows how to push my buttons. And people would even say that to me because, and, and what I realize now is it's part of the cycle and that's a setup phase for going into the next abusive incident. He knew how to push my buttons. He knew how to get me going. So, yep, they know, they know you well. And that sometimes works to your disadvantage and you've really got to play the game and play it well to be, have it be effective. And when someone says they, that person knows how to push my buttons, they, they're saying it, but at the same time, someone might not fully understand what those buttons are. And, you know, you kind of putting it out there like that um, to kind of kind of journal of, of why you gave in and being able to kind of trace that backwards is really helpful for anyone who's in these situations to understand why those things are are are, are working um, and when you're really able to understand those things, it will give you a better uh, perspective or clarity of how to maneuver your way out. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, looking back, journal, timeline, that's a timeline is another thing that I've done for my healing that has been more effective than I ever thought possible. So I, you know, I started my timeline and I put two pages and I had to add a page because this abuse went back further in my life than I even thought and things came to play and memories came up and I had to call some family members and I had to do some research. But being able to just print it out and look at it and see, you know what, A, it didn't start with me. You know, because we get into that mode of, is it my fault? <laughs> it didn't start with me. You know, I was groomed for this. And and so I made these decisions. And on, on the other side, it's just a spring because you know what? I got out. I broke that cycle and I broke it for my kids. And someday I hope to look at a Thanksgiving table of 30, you know, 30 people that have come for me. And to be able to say we broke that cycle of abuse in my family. And it started with me, you know, with me choosing to heal and do that work. And before we leave today, do you have any words of wisdom for everyone listening? You have not been one to set boundaries in the past. It is never too late. I did talk to an older lady a few days ago and she goes, I never set them with my daughter. And now I see that that is why my daughter cannot set them with her husband. And I told her, you know what? It is never too late to start. Even when your kids are out of the house, you can set boundaries. It will change you and it will reflect to them no matter their, their age. And it will bring you a healthy healthier family environment for doing so. Well, Julie Bon Blank, I really want to thank you for being here with us today. I'm going to put all of your information in our show notes. And you did just a really good job today in educating everyone. So I really can't thank you enough for being here. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please send it in the format that we asked for. And if you are someone that needs support, we have our very own support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. There, you click on the support group button at the top of the page. It takes you to our very own safe social network. And in there, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoon, and Saturday night. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from other survivors just like you. And you can also validate other survivors just like you as well as as they are going to be sharing as well on our forum boards. So if you need extra support, please do go to our support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. 
And if you need even more support, please do go visit our friends at domesticshelters.org. There they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They also have every phone number, email address, and website address for shelters and agencies, no matter how big or small the town you are in. Domesticshelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful organization. So please do go to domesticshelters.org if you need even more support. And that is it for our show today. So for myself and Julie Bond Blank, we hope you have a good night.